co-create the organization, you know, um, LBS, uh, you know, we're about 10 years old this year. Uh, we turned 10 in August. And we, so um, it actually started as an idea that me and my friends had. We were students at Towson University and uh, it really became, it's re and also uh, connected to that uh, was our experiences in debate, policy debate in high school and college. So from doing work at uh, Towson University on campus, organizing with black students, traveling around the country, debating, uh, you know, research to your universities, uh, debating against a lot of times which were racist white people, um, saying some of the smartest versions of racist things that you can think of. Uh, that's kind of where my experience came from. And so, uh, you know, at the time when we first started LBS, um, I was really conservative. I really didn't understand the conditions of black people at the time. I was, um, I came from a working class household, but um, I didn't really, you know, because I, because I didn't really have a lot of experiences that a lot of my peers had uh, that were negative, you know, I didn't really understand what black people, the conditions of black people, generally speaking, around the world. And so um, after my experiences in Towson and debate, actually, um, I kind of had a bunch of racist run-ins and encounters with white folks in a, in a variety of ways. And, um, you know, coming from Baltimore, where everybody's black, you know, the, you know, your, your friends are black, the teachers are black, the police are black, the elected leaders are black. You know, you might not be able to see racism because you're taught to see racism as white people. When, you know, when you're in white institutions and you're around other configurations, you see racism uh, manifest itself as much more than just white people. And so I think that's what the, the inspiration came from the fact that, one, I wanted to fight against those systems and that, two, I wanted to empower my community and use my gifts uh, to make the conditions of my black people better. So that's kind of the short. Okay, my second question is, uh, what what do leaders of our beautiful struggle does? So, uh, so we are a what you call a grassroots political think tank, uh, which is a really fancy way of saying that we are advocating for laws and policies that benefit the black community. And so we've been around, again, for 10 years, and we've been doing that um, in a variety of ways. So one of the main things that we focused on the past few years is criminal justice reform, because a lot of black people in our community want the police to be held accountable when they brutalize and hurt our folks. And a lot of folks, a lot of black people, when, um, when we want to change those, those conditions, you know, we want to you know, hold the cops accountable. People sometimes go to the mayor or other folks but actually, if you want to change um, anything dealing with policing, you got to go to the state level. You got to deal with state legislators. And so that's one of the main things we've done over, over the past 10 years is going to the state um, during the Maryland General Assembly to change laws to, be, to benefit our community, particularly on when it comes to holding police accountable. So, um, and we do that with, so we do that with a bunch of different things, but one of the main things we focused on is criminal justice reform. Okay, my last question is, why are laws and politics important to you? 
so you know, in terms of so a couple things. So one, my personal political beliefs are really focused on you know black liberation. You know, we need to free our people and community from structural racism and white supremacy. The tough part is in order to do that, you have to build institutions and you have to build infrastructure in order to get that accomplished. Meaning that, you know, we can say, we can protest all we want and we can say we hate the system all we want, but in order to actually make a difference in the world and to change the material conditions of our people, that it means we actually have to change the structure that exists. And right now, that exists in the form of laws and policies at the local and state level. Most people, when they think about politics, they think about it, you know, they think about Donald Trump and other national politicians, when in reality, most of the things that affect our communities happen at the local level and at the state level. And so we just believe that, you know, that's a, that's a very effective way to get at some of the things that are impacting us in Baltimore is that we can go to the mayor and city council and to the state legislature to change things that are happening to us today. You know, things like, like well, criminal justice reform and police accountability. You know, police are killing people every 28 hours in this country. So if we want to really address the problem, then we have to actually talk to our local elected officials to, act, to make sure that we're holding police accountable and to make sure that black people are not being discriminated against or violated on a daily basis. So we just think that's extremely important because it directly affects everything that all of us do on a daily basis. My name is Dylan. Um, my first question is, what is police brutality? You said, what is police brutality? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, what I would, so police brutality, it's, you know, it's almost self-explanatory, meaning that it defines itself when you say it. You know, police, police brutality is, is, is really comes down to uh, people who are law enforcement um, going above and beyond the, the, the duties set out by their jobs and uh, hurting, um, you know, or killing people in community for reasons that they cannot justify, you know? So, so for example, you know, police brutality, um, an, an example of police brutality has been a lot of things that's been going on in this country more recently with George Floyd. Um, he was, you know, people have seen the video where he's got the knee in his neck, but um, what it started out as is that he came into a grocery store or, you know, some local grocery store and wrote a bad check and the police were called. And their response to him should not have been throwing him to the ground and putting a knee in his neck. Um, instead, that's what they did. That could have been resolved a much, much easier, much more quickly uh, without the necessity of, of beating him up and putting him on the ground and, knee, and putting a knee in the back of his neck, which caused him to uh, uh, suffocate. So there are lots of examples of those kinds of incidents happening where, where police escalate very quickly. Um, to situations that don't require that. And a lot of times it's based in officers' own bias and, and racism that they, that they have about when, especially when it comes to black people, particularly affects black people. A lot, everyone, uh, you know, a lot of folks in the United States get uh, violated by the police, but police brutality happens um, the most to black people. Okay. Um, my second question is, what is, what is police 
misconduct. Police misconduct, it, uh, it extends to a violation of the code or the orders uh, set out by a, a department. So what that means is, you know, when you're a police officer or law, any law enforcement official, your department generally has rules for how you engage. And it's, of course, the law, but the, but the you know, the department has, uh, they call them general orders, but it's a list of rules that you have to follow when you're in the police department or any law enforcement agency. And so when you violate any of those rules or any of those policies, you know, you, you're engaging in misconduct. And that can, that, can, that can run a wide variety of things. It can be as small as pulling someone over, not small, but it can be as, um, it can be small as pulling someone over without a reason and saying that they, you know, were going too fast, but you don't have a justifiable reason, actually. There's that. And then there's also killing people, like shooting people, and un, un, unjustifiably. So it runs the range, and usually it's tied to policies and rules that departments set out. So anytime a law enforcement official violates any one of those rules or policies, they're engaging in, in misconduct. It is bad behavior in general. Okay. And my last question is, why is police accountability important? So, you know, so police accountability is extremely important because, you know, in order for anybody to trust that the police are going to do what they're supposed to do, we should make sure that as people who live in Baltimore and live in these places, that we should be able to tell the department and office and police officers if they're doing a good job or not. Part of the problem has been is that the system is not designed for uh, residents, people like you and I, to actually have any um, input in what the police are doing or to even know what happens to bad police officers um, that, or police officers that engage in misconduct. So it's extremely important that we have police accountability and that we put it into the law because the law uh, is, it dictates how everything, ha- how everything moves. When you make something a law, it means you have to follow it no matter what. And so part of the issue with the law in Maryland is that there is no way for us to actually, uh, un- to, 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 to directly as, to directly hold police accountable as residents. So a lot of what we've been doing is focusing on getting residents, getting residents the power to actually directly hold police departments and police officers accountable. And so without that, that means that we're leaving that up to law enforcement. So that's like police looking at other police officers and determining what's good and bad. Whereas we should be doing it. We think we should do that. And so um, that's good. That's extremely important because that's how we're going to actually um, get more understanding about how police are operating and hurting our communities. For my first question, why is it that when police get caught being brutal to a citizen, it takes longer for the officer to go to jail than a normal person or citizen? Mm, that's a very good question, actually. Uh, so the answer, the short answer to that question is state law. And here's why. You know, most people, so let's take, so let's take you, Dylan. If you walked into a room right now and shot somebody, you would probably, you, you'd expect to, one, you get arrested, you go to jail, 
you would have to give a statement on what you did and you might not be able to get bailed out of jail. So you would probably wait for a trial and then they will probably convict you and you go to prison. That's how it happens for everybody. Anybody that does, when they, when police kill people, when uh, regular folks kill people, that's typically the process that all of us have to go under. In, um, in Maryland specifically, and in 16 other states, there is a law called the Law Enforcement Bill of Rights. And the Law Enforcement Bill of Rights, what it does is that it gives police officers protections. So that way, when they do kill people, that means that they have a, set, they have a different set of rules that they get to roll by. So I'll give you an example. Um, y'all familiar with Freddie Gray? In the Baltimore um, Uprising, right? I know that um, it was kind of like George Floyd's death. In a similar way, yep. So, so Freddie Gray, when, uh, when he was murdered by Baltimore City Police, um, at the time, because of the Law Enforcement Bill of Rights, when that happened, when, when Freddie Gray died, and they were, um, and and there was all this commotion about sending the officers to prison. At the time, um, state law said in the bill of, in the law enforcement bill of rights that they had ten days before they had to actually give a statement to the police. Now, that's nuts, isn't it? Like somebody dies at your hand, and you you get to wait for ten days. Now, if you now if you give somebody ten days before they actually have to give a statement to police. Then that means what? You're probably going to be making up stories. You're going to probably try and figure out how to collaborate your story so that way, you know, you can make yourself justified and so, in, in the killing. And so, um, so there's that, and there's a bunch of other things that are protected under the Law Enforcement Bill of Rights. Another thing that's protected is that uh, the thing is called police trial boards. So in the same example, if a police officer kills somebody, then the, the internal... Um, structure that holds them accountable in the police department are called trial boards. That basically means you're going up into a into a room with your peers on a board, looking at what happened, and then they decide whether or not um, it was inappropriate or you acted uh, you acted in bad faith or what have you. Um, those trial boards have a lot of power, but they are only served by law enforcement which means that it's police policing other police. And so many times these trial boards don't really reprimand officers. They don't go, they don't really uh, send bad reports to these officers. And, and up to this point, more recently, they haven't been public. So, the, but again, the answer to your question is that there is, um, that state law protects police and they gives it, and, and the fraternal order of police, which is the police union, gives them all this protection. So at the end of the day, they won't they aren't held to the same standard as you or me. Um for my second question, I mean for my yeah for my second question, do we need more body do cops need more body cams? Now you ask my opinion on it, um no, because there have been multiple cases, I mean there have been multiple cases where black people have been murdered at the hands of police and we had the footage and they still did not go to prison. And so that, that being any kind of determining factor in whether or not it will decrease police killing to me doesn't make any sense. The other thing I would say is that uh, police cameras and other things like that where they want more technology for police is that it's, a, it's bad for a couple reasons. One is that um, it's it giving more 
technology to law enforcement. This is not, I mean, it, to monitor more black people, to monitor more of our poor and working class black communities isn't a good thing. And also, um, police already have too much money. They already have too much money. They, um, the Baltimore City Police Department, they have a half a billion dollar budget. It's over $500 million that they get every year for their police department. Meanwhile, things like uh, uh, Reckon Parks, I think their budget is maybe $80 million, maybe, you know, and other departments are much lower. And so but things like body cameras give the police department an excuse to increase their spending and, the, and to increase their budget. And so I just generally think that's not a good idea. They already have body cameras. Spending more money on more body cameras doesn't really fix the issue of police brutality. Um, for my last question, when an officer is being brutal to a, a citizen, do other officers get held a, accountable? Wait, what do you, uh, can you, can you say your question again? When an officer is being brutal to a citizen, would other other officers get accountable for that behavior too? So, so you asking um, if a police officer brutalizes somebody, are other officers held accountable? Yes, like officers that are in the area and that are with that one officer. Like that may have been around while they're doing yes. that? Yes. Oh, oh, okay. Um, well, it depends on the circumstances typically. Um, but if you're, if you're, if I'm understanding you correctly, um, if a police officer is like, let's say if a police officer is like uh, brutalizing someone, like hurting someone, um, and another officer shows up, um, it is typically, you know, it's, t it's common practice for police officers to just back up the other office, the officer that's there, um, because they don't know what's going on. And if somebody gets really hurt or killed, um, to, to your question about accountability, um, sometimes people do, sometimes people don't. Um, like with Freddie Gray, that's a pretty good example of what happened there. He was thrown in the back. It was like there were, there were six officers that were, um, charged with murdering Freddie Gray, but they all had different roles. So they all had, they all did different things. Like somebody threw him in the back of the van, somebody chased after him, somebody tackled him. You know, there was actual driver of the van. Like there were all these different, there were all these different factors that came into play with uh, Freddie Gray. And so, um, so that, so when Marilyn Mosby, our state's attorney, uh, tried to charge them for that, part of the problem was trying to explain whether or not the, uh, that, that any of these officers were collaborating together on, on trying to intentionally harm Freddie Gray. So that is, well, so, so the short answer to your question is sometimes yes, sometimes no, most of the time, no. Okay, that's it for all my questions. Right, thank you. Thank, thank you, Adam Jackson, the founder of Leaders of a Beautiful Struck with Shine Your Time with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, brothers. I appreciate y'all. No problem.